Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to episode 34 of the 2QB Experience. This is the Blake Bortles Experience. Welcome in. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Greg Smith, at Greg Sauce on Twitter. As always, joined on line number two, or this, I guess you're on the same line. You're on the line with me. Uh, Joshua Lake at Lake 2QBs. He may have uh, a Christmas cookie in his mouth. We're not sure. Let's find out. <laughs> choked it down right before we started it's a good time of year for food and it being the blake bortles experience i plan to keep this very poor performance until the very end (laughs) very good well um let's not waste any time because we have a lot to get to here let's just jump right into the week 15 review and let's start with um you know i I don't know how actionable we need to be uh, about this in two qb leagues but you know if this had happened six weeks ago like it should have maybe we could have you know gained some value out of it but Brock Osweiler out Tom Savage in what's going on with the Houston Texans and do we care at this point for fantasy I think we do care for two QB leagues I which is what we're here to talk about I suppose. oh really is that <laughs> <laughs> oh right two QB experience okay yeah different podcast all right good good um I think so I mean the Depending on how many weeks you have left, Cincinnati is not a terrible matchup, and then Tennessee in Week 17 is beautiful. And Savage at least knew how to throw to DeAndre Hopkins, so it right away makes him interesting. I, I think we have to at least consider it, because I, there's something there. I mean, Savage came out, and like I watched this game. I'm in Houston, so it was on air. He moved the ball. Like The the offense looked markedly different once he came in. I'm, I'm not sure I'm willing to say he's incredible, but I think we have to at least throw him into the mix at that QB2 streamer spot. Yeah, I just, I mean, if you're still live, uh, even, even if you do play in Week 17, I just don't know if he's the type of player who you'd be excited about. Like, And it's not like we've seen regular starters get injured here to the point where you would want to plug them in. I don't know. Like, I just don't know how excited I would be about using Tom Savage anywhere. But with that said, you you never know. I mean, maybe you were surviving to this point somehow with Brock Osweiler. And if that's the case, then, yeah, go ahead and put a claim in on Savage. Hopefully you don't get blocked by your, you know, week 16 opponent. Um, I don't know. Like, this feels like too little too late to me. Yeah, I, I think that's a valid point. I think it's an open question. So we talked about what about bad matchups for good quarterbacks. That was one of our topics last week. What about bad injuries for good quarterbacks? Matt Stafford, Derek Carr. Like, I know that's coming, but is there a small part of you that would consider benching one of the two of them for a bad quarterback this week? Yes. Um, and I I say that without having – I'm not looking at their current matchups. Right. I don't remember exactly who they play. That'll definitely, you know, kind of vary, I think, case to case. I just don't know if Tom Savage is the guy Mm -hmm. that I would do it with. I I might look somewhere else. Although, again, in a 2QB league, you probably don't have a whole lot of options available. So it might be a Savage or your current starter. I don't know. What do you think? Where where would you go with that? Yeah, I think that was kind of the point. I'm not enthused about Tom Savage, but if it's literally down to you got to pick up somebody and there's not any options or many options i think he's in that discussion i i'm just playing devil's advocate i don't think you're likely to bench um those two quarterbacks i named they matthew stafford plays dallas Derek carr gets indianapolis neither one is a bad matchup they're probably arguably very good matchups Uh, So it was more just playing devil's advocate, but I could see scenarios where you need to go out on the waivers and find somebody, but it's, it's pretty, we're talking about outlier teams. I I don't, 
I think you're right. I think you're probably not very interested in Savage unless you're in some sort of consolation bracket with crappy quarterbacks. Well, let's pick through some of the other matchups and see if we can find some guys that we might want to actually start Savage over. I think the one that jumps out to me is Carson Palmer at Seattle. Like, there's an established quarterback right there who, based upon recent track record, I don't trust very much in Palmer. And if Savage is out there on the waiver wire and I'm a Carson Palmer owner, I think you have to think long and hard about maybe making that swap. What do you think? That's a really good call. I mean, he's been shaky already and in a dreadful matchup. Yeah, that's going to be a scary choice. Like you drafted Palmer as a top 10 guy, if you have him most likely, and you're going to think about benching him, but the matchup is dreadful. Yeah, I could see that. I hadn't actually considered it, but I'm with you. Couple more I'll throw out here. Just looking at uh, Week 16, uh, Alex Smith uh, at home against Denver. Uh, maybe even Ben Roethlisberger at home against Baltimore. I don't think I'd pull the trigger on Roethlisberger, but Alex Smith, I yeah, I think you could you could justify that as well. I'm very much there with you. I don't think that Alex Smith deserves almost any consideration this week. Yeah, so I think that overall for me, that the big takeaway isn't necessarily with. Savage being a guy that I actively want in my quarterback spot, what this really does for me is give me a lot more hope for any possible shares I have of DeAndre Hopkins, of Lamar Miller, uh, of those other pieces in the Houston offense. And uh, again, I'll you know kind of throw in the caveat that if you invested in those players, there's a good chance you're you're no longer with us in in the fantasy world. You've moved on to the the fantasy afterlife of you know dynasty prep and and not caring about football whatsoever. But um, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I do like what it does for those guys. That's that's a good point. And you are not making this point, but I will say I don't agree with the people that have said the same for Dynasty. Just because I don't think that there's a realistic chance Tom Savage is starting week one of 2017. Like, I don't think this is some savior coming in to change DeAndre Hopkins' Dynasty value. But I think your point is right for for redraft, that those pieces are a lot more interesting than they had been the last few weeks. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. Like the contract for Osweiler is still such a big deal. It's such a big albatross over that team that I don't think you can assume that Tom Savage is going to stick. And I don't know if Brock Osweiler will stick either. But no matter what, it, I would assume that the long term solution, you know, 2017, 2018, 2019 probably isn't either one. Right. Yeah. And from what I recall, the the Osweiler contract is essentially a two year deal. So next year, I feel like they're likely going to be stuck with him, and maybe by 2018, they're moving on. But it's that's a ton of money to move on from. Like Bill O'Brien can say, excuse me, can say all he wants about we make decisions without considering contract, but in the offseason, they're certainly going to consider the contract. Yeah, and I mean, who knows? Maybe Osweiler goes out this offseason, gets super dedicated to, you know, studying film and, and working out, and, and he comes in and he is just a, a better player next year. Um, I don't think we can rule that out at this point. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, just in general, that, that quarterback situation is not one that I think you want to target for fantasy purposes, not in Dynasty. Let's move on to, um, you know, a, a, a more positive story from Week 15, and that was Matt Moore. He just totally blew up. Uh, in his matchup, third best QB rating of the week, tied with Andrew Luck. What do we do with him in Week 16 if we're still alive? Is is he somebody that we have to consider using? I gotta say, I got. <laughs> I feel bad. This is one I was very wrong on. I didn't think he was very interesting at all. And yes, I think so. I think probably more so than than Tom Savage. I mean, Miami is 
is still right in the playoff hunt like the Texans are, and their matchups are fairly favorable for quarterbacks. Neither Buffalo or New England these next two weeks is that, that intimidating. It was really shocking to me that it happened, but I do think we should give some weight to it. Yeah, I think you need to be careful before you assign too much weight to it, though. Like, you, if you look at the stats beyond just the fantasy points, you see that he only threw the ball 18 times. Um, he did go for 236 yards, so he had some big plays, which is really positive to see. But this reminds me of that big Trevor Simeon game from earlier in the season where Simeon threw for four, three or four mm. touchdowns. That's essentially what Matt Moore did here. He didn't do a whole lot, but around the red zone or, or just in general, uh, he threw a lot of touchdown passes, and that kind of propped him up in uh, a week where there weren't a whole lot of other great fantasy performances by quarterbacks. I mean, Drew Brees had an awesome game, but other than that, like the, the best scores are right around 20 points, which is generally down. Like it's not nothing like we saw in week 14 or even week 13, of course, like we talked about that a lot last week, but 23 points from your QB two is probably a relatively no, low number. I would imagine. Those are good points. I, I think that's valid, and the comparison to Simeon is a little scary. I think one of the benefits is that Moore has been around the league for quite a while, and so there's less concern that he's going to get just overwhelmed or anything like that. I have less concern than I would with a rookie or someone that came out and had one good fluky sort of game, but that's that's a good point to maybe temper the the enthusiasm that I was expressing. Yeah, for me, just the the lack of volume is the most concerning point. Uh, you know, 18 attempts in in a win is just not enough. Right. You know, I, I think that to see him go into Buffalo, where you know that team, that opponent, is notorious for controlling the ball and limiting offensive opportunities for the other team, uh, I think that Matt Moore will still not be throwing much. Uh, and Without the TDs, I don't know if he has the volume to to be viable, and that's my primary concern. I think that if we want to go down Narrative Street, we can, uh, you know, consider the cold weather for a Miami team uh, also being a potential downside of using him. But like you said, that that experience that he has does matter. Uh, Buffalo isn't a particularly imposing team from you know just like a defensive matchup perspective. Uh, my concern is more just with the volume. Yeah, that's a very good point. I, I had not looked at that enough. What else do you see in week 15 that caught your eye? One of the things that really stood out to me is watching through, like the games that I was paying close attention to, like I said, I watched the, the Texans game, and so we're, we're going to get to Bortles. That really stands out to me for week 15. But after that, watching Brady play um, the Broncos, and just seeing how stifling that defense is against a good offense, a good quarterback. And we had talked about this, and you had been much more skeptical um, than I had been. But, wow, just watching the bulk of that game, it really is impressive to see what a very strong defense can do to an offense and just limiting them and keeping the production down. Yeah, and while I was more skeptical, at least vocally on the podcast last week, it wasn't totally reflected in my rankings. Like, I put Brady lower than I would normally have him. But I didn't put him nearly low enough, so I'm, I'm not going to take a whole lot of credit for saying that I made a good call uh, on avoiding those QBs, especially when, you know, the guy that I was most afraid of, probably Drew Brees, was the guy who was the QB one on the week. So two two sides of the same coin, right? Like we saw one case where the matchup dictated we should avoid the quarterback, and it was right uh, with Brady. And then we saw another where the evidence maybe suggested that we should stay away from Drew Brees, and that was completely wrong. So I don't know. Like, I think that 
you're right. This is more about like Denver's defense just being that good. But I, I was surprised at how much how, how much they limited Brady. But it seemed from what I understand, and I didn't get to watch that game, that New England was never really in any doubt of losing. Is that correct? Yeah, it Denver did not look good. That looks like such a bad offense. And it, it, even though it wasn't this blowout win, I would agree. It, it was pretty clear that New England had this game under in the control that they needed. Yeah, and so I wonder like, if Denver had been able to challenge New England a little bit more with their offense, if that would have perhaps you know, s- spurred Brady to do a little bit more or have to do a little bit more. Because that's what I really want to see. I want to see that offense come out guns blazing and, and do whatever they can to, you know, beat that defense uh, to play this kind of like just enough to win sort of game, which is a, a classic Bill Belichick move. Um, don't get me wrong. So I, I don't know if we could have expected that, but I, I wonder what would happen if they went full tilt on offense. Well, I mean, what, what do you think? Do you think that that what that performance on Sunday was indicative of the matchup altogether? Or do you think that the Patriots could have done more? I think they could have done more. I mean, Deion Lewis had, what, 18 carries, I think? Like, that's not... In it, it was supposed to be a LeGarrette Blunt game, and it just wasn't. <clears throat> I don't think that their ideal, like, optimal offense is just letting Deion Lewis run up the middle as much as he did. So could they have done some things differently? I think so. But could they have had an outstanding fantasy performance? Probably not. That was one of the thing I, things I liked about that game for Brady was the fact that their rushing attack would probably be okay against Denver. I mean, Denver has struggled against the run. I just assumed that would open things up for the passing game, but it seems like that just wasn't something that needed to happen for them to win. And, that, and that's where we saw him get stifled. Um, him and Stafford and Mariota all kind of fell into that same group, actually, where they were going up against good defenses and they did not fare well. Whereas Breeze and Luck uh, kind of beat the odds against their defensive matchups. You know, Breeze going against Arizona and Luck going against Minnesota. Those guys are both going to finish top 10, even regardless of what Cam and Cousins do tonight. Is there anything that sets them apart for you, like besides just talent over, say, Stafford and Brady? Are are those two defenses ones that maybe we shouldn't be quite as scared of, uh, Minnesota and Arizona? Or is this just a case where the QBs are that good? I think that the Breeze, so I didn't watch the game yet, um, but Breeze playing Arizona has a whole lot more to do with Drew Breeze was not going to have a third terrible game in a row. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that has to do with talent and with the offense he's in and just they were going to make it work. They weren't going to have this really crappy offense. And I think they focused on what can we do differently. And I, I don't think that that says Arizona is a defense to target, I guess is what I'll say. Um, the the Indianapolis-Minnesota game baffles me. I'm, I'm real curious to hear what you think, because I thought that was a very top-tier defense, and I thought that was... I mean, I had Minnesota as one of the best defenses of the week. I thought that was just clear. Indianapolis was missing linemen. They were missing Dante Moncrief. It looked like a perfect situation for the Minnesota defense, and they just looked dreadful. And And I don't know what to make of it. I don't know if you have a good analysis of it. I'm, I'm really kind of reeling from it being 180 degrees from what I expected. Yeah, I was actually a little bit more optimistic about that on last week's podcast, if you remember. I think I liked Luck, at least on, on the onset, more than more than breeze um, relative to their matchup. And then after the podcast was done recording, I, I you know, saw the news that Jack Muhort was, you know, going to be gone for the year. Um, the, the guard for Indianapolis. And that made me 
kind of back off off of luck a little bit. Even still, when I went to go do my rankings for the week and I, and I looked into some of the numbers, like one of the things I look at is, um, you know, top 10 finishes a lot to quarterbacks and top 20 finishes a lot to quarterbacks. And before week 15, Minnesota was the best in the league at preventing uh, top 10 finishes. They haven't given one up all season, but they were very much like a bend don't break offense. I wrote about this in the rankings article that like they allow top 20 finishes um, at about you know, the same rate as some other defenses that aren't that good. Atlanta, Carolina, Chicago, Green Bay, Houston, Kansas City, um, and Philadelphia. Like, there are some good defenses in there, but none of those defenses are really great. So that gave me a lot of hope for Luck. And so I kept him ranked, you know, as a guy who I expected to finish in the top 20. He obviously did better than that in this particular game. I Yeah, I really don't know exactly what's wrong with Minnesota on defense because it seems like these problems have been more recent than anything else. I, I don't know. I, do you have any insight or, or are you kind of drawn a blank like I am? I think some of what you're talking about can be slanted by the teams that they've faced. I mean, they've had Matthew Stafford uh, twice already. They played Dak Prescott. Um, they had Aaron Rodgers once already. They Eli Manning, I think they have some good quarterbacks coming through and we're talking about making top 20. So we're not. But I, I think that some of it is that they've had quite a few good quarterbacks come through. But I, I really don't know. The bend but don't break point is an interesting one that because that sort of defense has these fluky games where bend don't, but don't break works until it doesn't. And then right. when you start breaking, it's just very problematic. No, that's a very, very good point. And maybe, but that's the thing is like, you can't necessarily go out and outright predict that, you know, you can't say, yeah, I think this is the week it's going to stop working. Um, maybe if you look at the quarterback in this case, Andrew Luck, you could say, okay, I think Andrew Luck might be capable of doing that, but I don't think you could have gone in to this week with Luck ranked as like a top five option. That would have just been stupid. I don't know. It, it's, it's hard to say. I, I shouldn't call people s- stupid per se. That's, that's probably a little <laughs> harsh, but um, it's just, yeah, it's just unwise. I should say, I think it, it's a little optimistic. I overly optimistic. I should say, um, what is not stupid and what has commonly been a thread that draws more fantasy goodness, uh, out of quarterbacks is rushing. And we touched on this a little bit last week. I just want to bring it up again, because in a week, like I said earlier, where some of the quarterback play was a little subpar, you know, I mean, we, we had plenty of fine performances, but not a whole lot of very, very good ones. Russian quarterbacks did really well. Again, uh, there were uh, multiple uh, Konami code guys in the top 12. Uh, Prescott at QB6, RG3 at QB8, Kaepernick at QB9, Tyrod Taylor at QB11. Um, he could get bumped out by Cousins and Cam. But, you know, if he does, then Cam jumps in there, right? And he's a Russian guy, too. All of these guys added at least two fantasy points with the rushing production. Uh, Prescott and Griffin didn't even pass for any touchdowns, but both scored eight-plus fantasy points by rushing. That's the equivalent of two passing touchdowns. So you can see where the value is here, and I think that you could also potentially relate this to, you know, worse weather creeping into some of these games. But, yeah, again, I'm just out here praising the rushing quarterbacks because (laughs) I love them. That's that's all it is. Um, Anything to add there, Josh? Um, a few thoughts. One is RG3 at QB8 is mind-blowing. <laughs> like, that's not a good team. It's not a good offense. It's not fun to watch, but the Konami code works. And the other is I had to actually pull up Dak Prescott's stats because 
I have not viewed him as a Konami code type quarterback this year, but, and, and there's been plenty of games where he hasn't been. I mean, one, let's see, what is this? Four, five, six of his games so far, he's had single digit rush yards, but he has a bunch of rushing touchdowns, which, which I hadn't realized. He just got his sixth on the year and has quite a few 20 and 30 point, 20 and 30 yard rushing games. And that's not something I really have noticed when I watch his game. Like, he doesn't strike you as a scrambling quarterback, but it is eye-opening to see he's generally getting you a couple of points at least, and in half his games, he's also getting a touchdown. Yeah, the goal line usage is very interesting there. You know, you have to give a lot of credit to Ezekiel Elliott for that, I think. Just the fear of that offensive line, the fear of that running back, really opens things up for Dak to be a little bit more, uh, you know, sneaky with those scores. Yeah, I, I think that that's a pretty under-heralded part of his game. But I want to get back to RG3 real quick here. What do you think about him as a potential streamer uh, Week 16 against San Diego? Is is he a guy you'd be interested in using? Like, maybe he just needed a couple games to get, you know, his his sea legs back, essentially, uh, before, you know, he could be a good quarterback again? Because, I mean, it wasn't a, an easy matchup necessarily at Buffalo. Um, they definitely got crushed, too. It was 33-13, to 13, but against San Diego are do you have any interest in RG3? Not a lot of interest. Like I'm not going out and targeting him, but probably more than the Tom Savages and well Matt Moore I'd have to think about some more, but yeah, the Konami code makes him interesting. I do think San Diego is a significantly tougher matchup than Buffalo was, but yeah, I think he is definitely in that category of consider him because of crazy upside. Like if I'm an underdog this week, he's got to be on the list of guys I look at because he has that potential. Yeah, and I do think maybe that performance that he just put up against Buffalo is something that could give you hope for Matt Moore um, going against Buffalo. RG3's volume wasn't that much bigger than Matt Moore's in week uh, 15. You know, Griffin threw the ball more, but only completed five more passes than Moore did. So a lot more inefficient through the air. The difference is that rushing production, right? When Griffin runs for, uh, you know, almost 50 yards and a score, that's something that Matt Moore is probably not going to do. But um, do you you care to draw any parallels there? Or do you just want to treat these as completely separate, you know, items? Yeah, I mean, the RG3 to Kaepernick, is kind of the comparison that jumps out to me of you could have a disastrous passing game any given week. And that's the thing you've got to worry about, but you feel pretty confident that a high percentage of the time, there's going to be some rushing points there. I think your point's an interesting one, but I don't know that we can really say exactly what Matt Moore is going to look like going forward. Whereas I think that RG three is a lot easier to peg. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that analysis for sure. Um, let's keep going. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, worst fantasy game of the season in Week 15. It's his first game this year without a touchdown pass. He did still pile up uh, top 10 yards per attempt numbers, and I think that that's for me the big takeaway when I when I look at this stat line is that if he would have thrown for just one TD, this game would have looked a lot better. I mean, he still finished as the QB 16. He's going to be a top 20 guy uh, regardless of Monday Night Football. So I bring this up only to say that I don't think you want to, you know, worry about Aaron Rodgers necessarily. Green Bay still has everything to play for. They're not going to rest him down the stretch. Um, and, you know, the, I think this is just a case where they didn't get the touchdowns uh, against an inferior opponent. Like they could do it all running the ball and that was good enough. What, what do you think about Rodgers? I, I 
think I know that you're going to agree with me, but um, <laughs> anything to add? Yeah, I, I do agree with you. I, I think that the Chicago defense, it's worth mentioning, is a lot better than people have given them credit for. Like They're getting pressure on the quarterback. They aren't giving up a ton of fantasy points to quarterbacks. So it's not the soft matchup that some people think it is. I'm not willing to say they're a terrifying matchup, but they are better than giving credit for. And he played against Seattle and Houston the two games before that. So I think there is good reason to believe that Aaron Rodgers can do fine in tough matchups. Like Minnesota this week, because we just saw Andrew Luck succeed against them, I think you're probably having to roll out Aaron Rodgers and trust him. Yeah, I agree with you. I I, I think your point about Chicago's defense is very good, though. Um, pulling up some numbers for them, the average QB finish against the Bears this year is 152 uh, that's the same as the L.A. Rams and actually worse than um, Cincinnati, Kansas City, just barely. So, you know, those aren't terrible defenses. So that, that's decent company. They could be the type of team that maybe, you know, over the season or the offseason, I should say, if they, you know, make some moves, uh, perhaps that defense gets even better. You know, it, it's it's easy, I think. And this this is something that I think about from time to time is it's really easy for us to lock into perceiving certain matchups as bad you know there are a lot of um teams that get reputations for certain things like for the longest time you know pittsburgh many years ago was a team that everyone thought their defense was great and then that carries over from season to season for uh no real reason um i mean there is some continuity that that does make it worth it but it's it's only true until it stops being true right like eventually some of those players are going to retire or get hurt or just get worse and you know, the matchup isn't quite as, you know, scary as it once was. I mean, the Bears were like that, too, back in the Brian Urlacher days. Mm-hmm. You know, they had a reputation every year of being a good defense um, and one you didn't want to play your quarterbacks against. But I don't know. This is kind of forward looking a little bit, maybe, maybe a little too much so because we're talking about defense. But, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't would it surprise you if Chicago suddenly became like a good defense again next year? I don't think it would surprise me. Yeah, and I mean, that's a team that struggled with quite a few injuries on both sides of the ball. You get people healthy, have the offense work a little better, defense work a little better. You could definitely see them become a top-half defense pretty easily. We've seen, like, the black and white of that this year with Kansas City. Like, as soon as Justin Houston came back, that defense looked a lot different. You know, what they were able to do and how they were able to scheme against certain teams um, got a lot easier. And uh, I don't know, yeah, it's it's stuff that's hard to track because, you know, you're, you're talking about an entire unit of, you know, 11 starters and then all the guys that filter in and out, you know, nickel corners and all that stuff. But um, I I think it's something that you, if you can pay attention to it, it it doesn't hurt, you know? Yeah. And along those lines, I'm not going to be able to attribute, I saw it through a tweet earlier today, but someone pointed out that one of those defenses we've had a conception about is, is Aaron Rodgers defense that the Packers have, been seen as this terrifying run defense and that they've really shut down running backs and been a terrible matchup this year. And that really hasn't been the case for the last six or eight weeks. It really was just the start of the season. They were really stifling and they've been just middle of the road to fine, but we still kind of are slow to react. Or I was tweeting earlier that Carson Wentz is still owned in like 25, 26% of ESPN leagues but it's been 10 weeks since he had a top 12 game. We are very slow to react. We remember kind of some of the first things that we saw 
like primacy, whatever we saw out of the gate, we kind of have a hard time moving off of. Yeah, that Packers point is a great one. And that was something that I dove into uh, last week when I was looking at how to rank Jordan Howard. And I ended up ranking him a little bit too low. Um, I had some concerns about potential game script issues with the Bears against uh, Green Bay. But if you look back at the Green Bay defense, if you don't just look at the average points against or the total points against by a position, it tells a much better story, right? Like you look at the the running backs they were facing early on in the season when they developed that reputation as a very good run defense. Uh, week two was Adrian Peterson with that terrible offensive line. Week three was the the Lions, who have never been able to run the ball very well. After that, it was the Giants, no running game. Then Ezekiel Elliott put up 18 points. That's a good fantasy finish. After that, it was uh, the first Bear games. Kadeem Carey uh, outscoring Jordan Howard in that one. Like, <laughs> if you go back and look through these game logs with a you know finer tooth comb, you start to see that the it has a lot to do with the players more than it does how good the the Packers defense was. And Yes, it's really hard to keep up with that on every level, you know, every team, every defense, every position. But when it comes down to your own teams, you're really only having to look at the guys you have rostered. And and yeah, I guess you could throw in the waiver wire guys, too. And I I think that that complicates things. But in general, you know what your choice is down to most of the time in fantasy. You're choosing between two or three guys and going for a deeper look like this is something that can be very beneficial, um, especially at this point in the year when, you know, a lot of analysts out there are going to lean on those preconceived notions because we have to take shortcuts too. Yeah, I. one of the things that's been most helpful for me, I think you and I are in kind of different situations because you do the rankings every week and are very successful at them. I mean, I haven't seen updates this week, but you're in the top 10 at Fantasy Pros and, and doing well and really focusing on the matchups. For me, the one of the big factors has been increasing the number of leagues I'm in. Like apart from being an analyst entirely, it's just moving from one or two leagues to this year, I think I have eight. And that makes me look at a whole lot wider player base than I did when I was just in one or two leagues because I'm having to think about so many different starters and waiver options, like you said. And that's really helped because week to week I'm having to think through far more matchups and far more. And so I have kind of that background knowledge built up that when you're in just one league, you really don't, to your point. No, and that's something that's helped me out a lot, too. I'm glad you brought that up because that's where the rubber meets the road, right? Like when you actually have to decide between two two players for your own team, you give a little bit more of a shit about it, you know, as opposed (laughs) to me just looking at two guys like I'm trying to rank. Emmanuel Sanders versus Jordan Matthews this week. And I don't really own either one of them anywhere. It's like, so I don't, I haven't been paying attention as much. And, 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 you know, you can kind of start to, you know, slide down that shortcut slope a little bit more and more. Um, But yeah, you're right. When you actually have to make the decisions and there's money on the line or even pride on the line, like you have to dive a little deeper. You have to really think about which guy you like more. And your intuition is often, you know, the best indicator too. Like, I don't know. I don't really want to say you need to go with your gut all the time, but I I think that's cheap analysis, but there's something to that for sure. There's some truth in that. Don't you think? Yeah. I'm, I'm a firm believer that whatever you call it, intuition or our subconscious mind, like we know more than we give ourselves credit for. And that doesn't mean just go with your hunch all the time, but I do think that we know more than, excuse me, more than we realize and more than we can articulate. So sometimes those hunches and those first reactions are have a lot of truth to them. 
man, this got to a really deep place from starting about talking about Aaron Rodgers' worst game of the season, didn't it? <laughs> let's um let's talk about another QB who had his worst game of the season, and we don't have to go quite as deep here because we can just you know slander him or or libel him all uh podcast i always get the two confused you're the lawyer you might know the difference but slander we're good libels and writing libels and writing okay great so let's slander blake bortles he's the qb spotlight of this episode and we we both know that blake bortles is not good and if you're listening to this podcast and you don't know that it's time to wake up people blake bortles is a terrible quarterback the big news out of this week regarding the jaguars though is that they fired gus bradley and i'm curious what you think that firing has to do with bortles um First of all, let's just talk about right now. The last two weeks of the season, week 16 being the most important for most fantasy folks out there. But does this firing change your outlook on Bortles at all for the fantasy finals? No. Okay. How about long term? Looking ahead, dynasty wise, is this something that you think helps his value at all? I think you're taking a speculation play if you take either stance because... There's at least two ways you can see it. One is he didn't develop at all under Gus Bradley. He didn't improve at all. His completion rate was about the same. His struggles um, when it was early parts of the game have been terrible. Just no improvement. So any other coach could probably do more. The other way you could look at it is to say he's been dreadful and he's had three years. Why is a new coach going to come in and commit to him? They could very easily just move on from him in the next year or two. Tony Romo. <laughs> That'd be pretty interesting, right? Like, the team isn't terrible in Jacksonville. No, and I think that the firing of Bradley has less to do with Bortles and more to do with the defense. Like, they have a lot of talent on defense, and their defense has just not been playing all that well relative to the amount of talent they have. And I think that, you know, Bortles' non-development is definitely a factor as well. I just don't think that's the reason. And I think... The team, the ownership, and the the general manager have to know at this point that Bortles isn't very good. Uh, and I think that, yeah, that you're right. Like they could very easily move on from him at any moment going forward because you know they could have the same read that we do that he's not good, right? Yeah, we're three years in now. This isn't like I'm still preaching caution with guys like Carson Wentz and Jared Goff who were quick to say who they are, even Dak Prescott to a degree. But when you're three years into a career and you haven't developed at all, that's a problem. Like we should say, and this is kind of getting into a different topic, but that's not the point for fantasy. Like fantasy, he still is a very viable play if you're seeing him as between QB1 and QB2 on any given week. But for football, just for NFL purposes, he has not been good and has not shown that he's gotten much better. Yeah, he's generally been okay for a fantasy option. The problem is that he's very unpredictable and that his usage kind of, you know, fluctuates up and down. He's either pretty good based upon, you know, garbage time volume or or a bad matchup or a good matchup, excuse me, or he's just dreadful. He's really, really bad. And the, the real problem is that it's not necessarily always dictated by matchup. It's not easy to sniff that stuff out ahead of time with Bortles. And that's what makes him a frustrating guy to own. But we can talk about this from a, a real football perspective and have it not really matter from a fantasy football angle. And I, I don't really know what to do with that. Like, because at some point, the real football has to trump the fantasy, right? It's like these owners aren't trying to win fantasy titles. They're trying to win Super Bowls. If Bortles isn't cutting the mustard, then they're going to move on. They're going to get Tony Romo. Or they're going to draft somebody new. And a new coach, you're right, is potentially indicative of them looking to do something like that because 
a new coach may not like Blake Bortles at all. Uh, a new coach may really like somebody in the draft class. And once that seed gets planted, it's really hard to stop the growth, I think. I don't know that you can really do a lot with Blake Bortles if you're thinking like Dynasty Leagues. You're probably stuck with him if you own him, and I don't know that you want to really pay much to acquire him at this point because it's so unknown what's going to happen, and he hasn't been so impressive that you'll take your chances. Yeah. Um, well, let, let's dive a little deeper on him here. Um, I, I think we're on the same page here that he's still viable as a fantasy guy moving forward, but we have a little bit about the same amount of concern as we probably had with him just because of how not good he is. But let's let's run through the motions here. Let's let's talk about the things we noticed. Again, we're, we're kind of in retrospective mode this late in the season, so it doesn't have to be specific to week 15. But um, what was something that you noticed uh, about Blake Bortles when you were getting ready for this episode? Watching the game, it really stands out to me, like I said, just that in NFL terms, he is not very good. And I'm not a tape grinder. I can't really get into the the X's and O's. But you watch the game and just see a lack of comfort. And that is a, a really big concern when you couple it with, like I said, the stats aren't improving. His completion rate is bad. He's still letting his team fall crazy behind. That shouldn't be the case after almost three full seasons as a starter now. You would think you would see a little more comfort. And and he's had stability. His head coach has been the same through this process. So a lot of the excuses you can make for young quarterbacks, he doesn't have. And I'm at the point where three years in, I don't see a reason. Excuse me. I don't see a reason to be optimistic that it's going to somehow like that the switch is going to get flipped. Like what, what is the narrative that says he's all of a sudden going to become good at football when three years in, he still is making just dreadful decisions. Well, we can jump ahead here. We'll get to the thing I noticed a little bit later, but um, something else I wanted to talk to you about were these widespread reports on Bortles lack of off season preparation coming into the season. Like that's pretty well established at this point. And I, I think it's sort of fair to project that he won't make that same mistake after 2016. I mean, he very well could. He might just be a knucklehead. But I would imagine that after there's been so much negative press surrounding his you know, lack of work in the offseason, that maybe after another bad year, this is an offseason upcoming where he will you know, dive into the gym, dive into the film room and, you know, really make an effort to improve. Um, do you think that's too much of a narrative? Am, am I projecting too much here? So it's a plausible narrative, but I don't know that we can say it's likely. Like we've we've had bad narratives on Bortles each of his last two seasons as well, and he didn't come out with a different mindset. I don't know why a third year would be the, the tipping point. It Could it be? Yeah, but I don't know that we can predict it based on the information we have i mean he was very good in 2015 and and my guess is that he probably just got complacent like he didn't realize how lucky he was getting with all those interceptions that defenders were dropping and whatnot and he probably thought he was hot shit went into the offseason thinking oh yeah i've still got alan robinson like the defense is going to be better 2016 is going to be great i don't have to do anything and i think he got punched in the mouth this year and i i don't know i would hope that that would light a fire under him but you're right. There's no way of knowing that. We we would only be speculating. It it'll be interesting to see what those you know reports on him are in the off season, and it'll be interesting to see what they do in the draft, uh, who they sign in free agency, because a lot of that might dictate you know how we have to value Blake Bortles going forward. 
let's yeah. oh sorry go ahead sorry i just want to say like i if i could disagree a little bit i don't i don't know what he took away from 2015 to feel like he was hot shit like the team was 5 and 11 he had 18 interceptions he completed less than 60% of his passes and so for fantasy we think of him as being this great asset but I don't know that any of the things he cares about really say, like, I should go into this offseason thinking I'm I'm here, I've arrived. See, I would argue that I think players care about that stuff just as much as we do. And hmm. I think that because fantasy is probably the truest driving force of the NFL's popularity, that when a player like Bortles finishes as the QB4 on, you know, on the season like he did last year, that could go to his head, you know, like he's going to hear all this stuff about, oh yeah, like on his Twitter feed, like people talking about, yeah, Blake Bortles took me to my championship. And cause that's more personal to him, you know, like if the Jaguars stink, he can blame it on the running game. He can blame it on the defense. He can blame it on the coach, but he, his own performance, his own statistics, he can really take pride in that. And so when you have a good statistical mm. year, like he did last year, I, I think that it's very plausible to assume that, you know, maybe he got a, a little bit of an overflated, e- overinflated ego because of that. I, I mean, does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, no, it does. And I, I think that's true. They definitely are keeping tabs on fantasy. I guess I want to believe, and maybe it's wrong, that so many players are thinking, well, my team is bad. We lost a ton of games. I clearly am not an elite player. But maybe they don't. Maybe there is a lot of, well, I did fine. It's on the team that we weren't that good. Like well, subconsciously, even if not subconsciously, but like privately, even if they're not saying that to anyone, you, you could very well be right. Yeah, I, I think it just has to do with, you know, how accountable he wants to feel. And like I said, if, if he can find other other factors to blame for the Jaguars poor performance and, and you know, not take any accountability on his own, like this is something that we preach for fantasy, right, is like, don't just look at your results. You have to look at the process and whether the decisions you made ahead of time were reasonable and were smart. Like just because Blake Bortles finished as a good quarterback uh, fantasy wise doesn't necessarily mean he had a good season. Like there were a lot of games where, like you said, completion percentage was bad, but he got the touchdowns. He got the garbage time stats to make him feel better about himself or make his fantasy owners feel better about him. And yeah, I, I think that this is definitely armchair psychology which you know i definitely love to do on this podcast but i i don't i just i have a feeling that that factored into you know maybe his his lack of uh off-season preparation and like i said i hope it lights a fire under him but you know maybe he is just a knucklehead and maybe he'll find new excuses to make this year i think that's also very possible and that's why you know looking forward you're right we can't just assume he's going to get better because there's no evidence to suggest he wants to or that he can yeah all right, let's get back to uh, the things we noticed segment. Uh, and I'm actually going to twist this a little bit uh, and talk more about the Jaguars offense in general. And I think a lot will and probably should be made of Allen Robinson's miserable season this year. But I think we need to give some credit to Marquise Lee. Now, he totally disappeared in week 15. Um, I'm going to give him a pass there because Houston is generally very good against number two wide receivers. But Lee is quietly, or at least entering the the, the week, he was wide receiver 50 uh, in total points, uh, that's standard scoring, not PPR. It's not amazing, but I think he could be interesting next season because he came in with a lot of hype and he disappointed at first, but this year he seemed to get a lot better. If he can kind of repeat that magnitude of improvement again between 2016 and 2017, that could, one, bode very well for Marquise Lee. That would mean that he got a lot better and probably deserves to be 
uh, a much higher drafted fantasy commodity. But that could also bode really well for Blake Bortles and this offense, right? Yeah, it's Marquise Lee was a high draft pick. He went ahead of Allen Robinson. If he's gonna be legitimate, and that this, like I said, there are pieces here. You could definitely tell yourself a story where this is a very good offense. Yeah, and I mean, he's getting enough targets to be fantasy relevant some of the time this year, especially in PPR. Um, but I, I, I just kind of want to give a little credit to him for, you know, outperforming a lot of our expectations. Like we went into this year thinking, you know, Marquise Lee was dead. It was kind of the same thing with Devontae Adams. Now, Devontae Adams has made a much bigger leap than Marquise Lee did, but Devontae Adams gets to catch passes from Aaron Rodgers. If Jacksonville does go out and sign a free agent, maybe they bring in Tony Romo, like, I think that that could make Marquise Lee very interesting as well as, you know, boosting up Allen Robinson, who has clearly just been, I don't know. I, I don't, I, I, what, what do you think's going on with him? How much of it do you blame on Bortles? A, a lot of it. I, I think that that is a huge problem when your quarterback is struggling so bad. It's, it's tough for him to keep. I mean, we're seeing that this year with the Texans too. Like Robinson and Hopkins are in very similar situations of we still think they're very talented, but we we are seeing that bad quarterback play can get worse year to year. Like Brian Hoyer, et cetera, weren't that good last year, but they they were better than Brock Osweiler is. And I think we're seeing some of that. I am certainly worried. I don't think we can say that Allen Robinson is this like first round dynasty pick guaranteed that that he was the last offseason, but I think a lot of it has to do with Bortles more than anything. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm afraid to assign too much value or weight to that, you know, problem with Allen Robinson. But I, I think that it's the most obvious explanation, and and I think you kind of have to lean that way, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, I uh, Cam. Sorry, just cutting in for the Monday night game. Cam Newton just slid and had a Redskins defender kind of tackle at his head and glance off of his helmet. And there's a flag thrown, so everyone assumes that it means uh, roughness. Turns out that Cam Newton got the penalty for throwing the ball at the Redskin afterwards and celebrating because he thought he was getting the flag. So he got an unsportsmanlike 15 yards. Speaking of knuckleheads, man, wow. that, that is a bad move. How, how's, what's the score of that game? Give me an update. Um, 13 to three, the Panthers are winning. The Redskins had one drive. They moved the ball, and other than that, haven't done anything. Okay, yeah, that that was one I was very interested in. I was higher on Cam than most this week. I liked the matchup, um, but I was high on Cousins too. So hopefully that'll turn into a shootout and make my projections accurate. That'll be fantastic. <laughs> nice. Anyway, sorry to cut you off. No, that's good. I like that. Um, I, I appreciate the uh, <laughs> the story time with that Josh. That was ridiculous. Yeah, that's not good. Um, let's get back to Bortles. I I want to wrap up with this, and we spend a lot of time hating on him, not only in this episode, but you know. In but in the season in general, so we both hate him, right? In a vacuum, <laughs> yeah. But this upcoming matchup against Tennessee is very appealing. I, I don't think that many two QB owners made it this far with Blake Bortles, but if they did, does do you think he's at like a must start this week against Tennessee? I think so. I think Tennessee is just that bad that almost everyone is a must start, but especially someone with top, really top one upside. He, he has that potential. It's, it's realistically more like top six, top eight. But I think you have to play him. Yeah, I'm with you. And that is probably the most terrifying part of all of it. <laughs> and then 
not a lot of leagues play in week 17, but Jacksonville is going to play Indy in week 17. Like, I think you have to play him the next two weeks if you're alive. Yeah, I mean, maybe you're not still alive. Maybe you're listening to this podcast for some masochistic reason. Like, you just <laughs> love to hear about the players you're not going to get to use um, because you've been eliminated. But, you know, take this to DFS, too. Like, get Bortles in there. Like, leverage the fact that he hasn't been good lately and, you know, try to find him at a lower ownership, maybe. I mean, maybe the matchup will dictate that you're not going to get that, but um, then maybe he's just a cash game play for you because... Uh, his value might be low based on you know name brand alone. I, I don't know. It, it, you have to research this stuff on your own. I'm not going to do all the work for you, am I? <laughs> but um, I, it, it's he's just a guy to consider, and uh, the, the matchups dictate that. All right, so let's call it a wrap on Bortles. Let's uh, look forward to week 16, maybe week 17. You keep bringing up week 17, but I, I, I do you have any leagues that play there? Yeah, I do. Why? I don't. I mean, why are you in those leagues? <laughs> Work leagues and former job work leagues and just people that don't play a lot. Yeah. A quick sidebar. Have you ever played in uh, leagues? I think the ESPN standard leagues used to be like this where playoffs matchups were two weeks where you would go a matchup that went through week 14 and 15. And then the finals would be week 16 plus week 17. You ever play in leagues like that? Rarely. Um, I'm in the the toilet bowl in Ryan McDowell's uh, dynasty leagues, the kitchen sink leagues, mm-hmm. and his finals is that way. So I'm in week two of the toilet bowl, bowl finals, and we just combine the two week scores. But I, I will say I'm rarely in those leagues. What do you think about that format? Because I'm not a huge fan. Yeah, I feel like it's kind of splitting splitting the baby is of like, do you want the head-to-head, or are you trying to go for some, like, best team wins, sort of a, like, it, it's kind of splitting the difference, and I'd rather you just pick one, like, the crazy narratives that you remember forever, like, the Boswell, the Steelers kicker, wins you the playoffs because he had an insane week, and you remember that. They, when you go to two weeks for a playoff game, the stories just aren't as good. You don't really remember as clearly. Well, and it doesn't line up quite well enough with the way the rest of the season is played out, like all your regular season matchups are one week at a time. Like why should it change in the playoffs? I mean, I guess you could make the argument like in baseball or basketball, like they play one game series or the one game at a time during the year. But when the playoffs come along, it's best of five or best of seven. But I I don't know. Football to me has always been about that one week matchup. And that's basically the only reason I don't like it, which isn't totally fair. Like it's probably not indicative of, you know, the best team moving on, but I don't know. I think that, the, like you said, the variance of that is important. And it almost seems like if you wanted to introduce that, that idea of let's make sure the better teams have a better chance of winning, wouldn't you want to do it in the regular season? Like get the best teams into the playoffs and then take your variance like crazy one week stories because you know you have the good teams there? Yeah, maybe. Or, or maybe you, you double down on both, right? You you do double header matchups during the year and then you do the two week thing in the playoffs. I don't know. Like it, it just doesn't it doesn't line up. It doesn't like kind of resolve itself against itself. If that makes any sense. (laughs) I don't know. I'm having a hard time talking on this episode for whatever reason, but let's talk about the actual NFL playoffs that are coming up. We're at that point in the year where we know a lot of teams are out. We know which teams are fighting for their lives. I don't want to dive too deep into the playoff picture, but uh, I got a couple things I want to bring up here. We here are the teams that have been eliminated. Uh, Cleveland, Jacksonville, Cincinnati, the Jets, uh, San Diego, Arizona, Chicago, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, San Francisco. Is there one team or player on one of those teams that you are 
extra fearful of because of the fact that their team has been eliminated? I don't know that I'm fearful. I think that there's a risk, but these are bad teams that have been bad all year. So we're not, there's not a ton of players here that we've been really reliant on. So if you're a playoff team, you're going into the finals. There's not a ton of players across those teams that you've been counting on week in and week out. I think that you look at situations and look at, do any of these teams have young players that they want to see? And I know you had brought it to my attention. We'll probably talk about it more like Los Angeles Rams. Could they go with Sean Mannion over Case Keenum if they need a, a backup quarterback just because they want to see what they've got? Like situations like that are where you're really looking at it is, is there a young player that's an unknown? But for the most part, I don't think you've been relying on these guys. Yeah, no, I think that's right. Um, but just in general, uh, or more generally, I should say, should your process change in forecasting any of the matches of these teams? Or like you said, is it kind of just par for the course? These teams are bad. We know they're bad. And we know who's usable and who's not. I don't think that it changes a lot for these teams. If it, It's different if a team quits. Like the Jets, to me, on this list are one of the ones I'm I like I cut Brandon Marshall in a league where I went zero RB and had a lot of wide receivers. And I did it before this week when he was bad again. I think the Jets are a scary team because they just aren't trying is the way it looks a lot of the time. And there's certain players that do like Bilal Powell had a good game. That's more what I'm looking at is not are you eliminated, but do you just see that the team is done trying? Yeah, the Jets with um, Robbie Anderson are a really good example of what you were talking about before, where he's a the guy they just started trotting out there three weeks ago and kind of quietly started putting up big fantasy game after big fantasy game. And at this point, it's clear that he's the wide receiver to own in that offense. Like, it's not Brandon Marshall at all. It's not Quincy Noonway either. Like, they want to see what they have in this kid. He's got some chemistry with Bryce Petty, and that's something that's actionable. That's something you can try to to go after. I think that with Chicago, you might see that with their wide receivers as well. Cameron Meredith had another really nice game in week 15. Uh, I would expect him to keep looking good. Yeah, you know, Matt Barkley has been solid. Um, He hasn't really ruined the value of any of those receivers. So, yeah, those types of players, I think that's where you can gain the most value um, from these bad teams. But I think you're right. Like, we already knew that, really. Like, that, that doesn't change between, you know, week 13 and now that much. If you were able to pick up on it back on week 13, though, that that's where you really could have, I think, gained an edge. But let's uh, look to the other side. Now, let's talk about teams that we know are, are, are still in it and teams that have a lot to play for. Uh, is there any team in particular that you're interested in? Like, I think that Houston was the the big one that came out of Week 15. We saw them finally make the move from Osweiler to Savage. Like, that was a few weeks late, in my opinion. But, you know, they did it, and now they're moving forward, and, and that makes them a little bit more interesting. Are there any other teams that you think could possibly either shake things up or, um, you know, certain players who, who you would expect to have big games because they're playing for their lives? I mean, they're playing right now. I think the Redskins are one of those teams that are going into two difficult matchups, Chicago and the Giants, but they are going to be playing very, I mean, they are very much on the playoff bubble. Those teams are the most interesting to me. I feel like the good teams, the ones that still need a lockup, um, home field advantage like we know the Patriots are good we know the Cowboys are good that that isn't really news but these teams that are kind of on the cusp the, the Buccaneers are one that come to mind the Redskins those ones that are on the edge are to me the ones that are pretty interesting because you know they are going to do all they can in these two weeks they're not hiding plays they're not 
keeping players on the bench. They're really going to be going all out. Yeah, in general, most of the teams who still have a shot have to play it out in week 16, which is good for fantasy. The biggest exception is Dallas. Because the Giants play early, they play on Thursday, if they lose to Philly, that will knock them out of contention to get that NFC East title. And if that happens, then you could see Dallas take their foot off the gas in the last two weeks, you know, week 16 included. So, you know, keep an eye on that Thursday game. If you have Dak Prescott, if you have Ezekiel Elliott, if you have Des Bryant, um, I, I have a feeling they'll probably still be used probably in in a pretty heavy way for week 16, but you might get a little bit less production than, than you might want. Um, do you have any hope for seeing Tony Romo in one of these last two games? Because I, I think that assuming Dallas is going to lock up the one seed is, is a fair assumption to make at this point. I would kind of doubt that they do that just because Dak is so young. I, the ridiculous drama that it would create, I kind of, I really doubt that they bench, not bench, but they sit Dak to bring in Romo. I don't think it's going to be worth it to the team. I think if they were going to do that, it'd because it would have been because Dak struggled and a good week this week probably held that off. Yeah, I think the other thing to consider here, and this is also, you know, once again, very narrative heavy, but Dak and Zeke are both playing for awards, right? MVP, Rookie of the Year. These guys are going to want to play every week, like all the way through week 17, piling up statistics, putting on those performances that, you know, will, will hopefully bring them home those those awards. And I think that that is going to matter as well. Um, could we see Tony Romo in like the fourth quarter of week 17? Yeah, I think maybe we could. But that's not something you can use in fantasy, even if you're playing at that point. I, I think if it came out ahead of time that he was going to start that game after Dallas locks up the one seed, then hell yeah, get Tony Romo in your lineups and see what happens. But I don't know. They, they may also rest. If they're going to rest Dak, they probably also rest Dez and whatnot. Probably the most interesting angle here for me would be if they did give Zeke a breather in the last week, potential mm-hmm. for Alfred Morris or you know the new number two, apparently, Darren McFadden. To, to do some damage there for DFS players. But again, that's not something I'm really looking at in, you know, actual year long leagues. Uh, I think that those running backs could be a little more interesting down the stretch because of that. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good call looking at those places and anyone that's going to be going to have meaningless games at the very end could have that sort of potential. But Dallas is the easiest one that jumps to mind. But I, I often forget some of these like, fifth fourth seed teams also get to the same situation where like they can't improve their standing so what's the point yeah i mean that's really what you got to be afraid of more than anything else are, are guys that look like they're quitting and unfortunately you don't really know it until the game starts and you see them play um and sometimes it, it's game script dependent right it's like if a team comes out and they do have something to play for but they get punched in the mouth and they're already fighting for their lives with a very slim chance like I think that Carolina is a good example of this. I talked about that a couple of weeks ago when I was uh, slandering Cam Newton. Uh, is that the correct usage? I, I, I already forget. <laughs> yeah, you're good. All right, all right sweet. Um, but yeah, like if if he gives up uh, at any point, like that's it. Like he's just not going to be good enough for your fantasy team, and that's that's scary when you're talking about a guy you spent a high draft pick on. But um, let's talk about Week 16 specifically. A few questions. I know we're running a little long here, Josh. I appreciate you staying up late in the more Eastern time zone. Um, but Derek Carr, he was our spotlight QB last week, had another quiet game, second one in a row. 
are we still blaming the finger? Do we blame two straight divisional matchups on the road? Um, what are you doing with Derek Carr? We kind of talked about it earlier, but I'm playing him. They're at home against Indianapolis. And I don't know that I have a good explanation for it because I don't know. Was it the injury? Was it not? That I think that's a valid question, but probably an unanswerable question for people with our our limits on information. But I think the matchup is too favorable to bench him, regardless of what you speculate is the cause. Nope, I agree. I'm running him out there again. I, I talked about this last week where I have him in a couple leagues and um, one of them it looks like I will be in the finals next week and yep he's definitely going to be my starting QB there there's some other decent options you know like Tyrod Taylor um, and I think uh, I can't remember who the other one was but there was another streamable guy and I was like well do I need to consider these guys like what we were talking about earlier right with with Tom Savage yeah you're right the matchup here uh, against Indianapolis is just it's too tempting I can't I can't quit it I, I gotta go after it <laughs> Um, let's talk about a potential worse matchup. Um, touched on this with the Giants playing Thursday night, but Eli is going to Philadelphia to play the Eagles at the link. Philadelphia, as we've noted in the past, tends to play harder. They play better at home. How do you feel about Eli this week? Yeah, at Philadelphia on a short week, that's not ideal. He's been bad, too. Yeah, it hasn't been... Even when he's getting touchdowns overall, like the yardage and the the volume, it's not great. I, I don't know that I trust him, but I also am not sure I can say he's not. You have to be in. We come back to this in, in a lot of weeks. We talk about it. The problem is I don't know that he falls out of QB2 running. So you're probably playing him even if you're not saying that he's a clear QB1, which he's nowhere close this week. So let's put them up against the the bargain bin streamers. Would you play Eli over Matt Moore and Tom Savage? I think Moore I would think about. Savage I wouldn't trust this week over Eli. Eli I would trot out there. Matt Moore I need to think about some more. You, you brought up some valid concerns. I am pretty optimistic about Moore this week, but I, I do think your point about the volume is something I need to look at more. So I'm probably going Eli over both of them at this point. Yeah, I think I am too. Philly has been a little more suspect against the pass recently. Um, you know, they were not that good against Joe Flacco. Uh, and the four weeks before that, they gave up top 12 finishes every week. So, I, again, this is one of those perception versus reality moments for the Eagles defense. Like, yes, they play better at home, but in general, they haven't played that well at all. So... Um, I, I think I'm running Eli out there and just hoping that he, he can deliver because they really do need to win that game too if they want to you know keep pace with Dallas. Hopefully they don't give up ahead of time. You know, assuming that Dallas is going to win one more game though, which you know they might. You never know. Sean, you mentioned Sean Mannion, and uh, I'm going to give credit to the person who tweeted this out, or, or I saw a link to it, and it looks like it was reported by Alden Gonzalez uh, on ESPN reporting that if Jared Goff can't go the Rams might go with Sean Mannion because Case Keenum is a free agent after this year and they want to see what they have with Mannion. I mean, he's played a little bit for them in the past. I think that they know that Mannion is not good. So <laughs> um, I don't know how much we care in the first place. But with all that said, they're going against the San Francisco defense. And this is a defense that is equally as terrible as all the Rams starting quarterbacks. So any interest in, in streaming uh, a Rams QB against SF or maybe running them out there as like a, a very, very dirt cheap option in DFS? I don't think I'm doing it, no. 
I think Sean Mannion would really scare me off Kenny Britt, who's been a really interesting cheap wide receiver. But I don't I don't think I'm trusting any of them. I don't think the matchup saves what is really bad um, as far as the play and the situation. I don't think the firing of Jeff Fisher suddenly made the team good enough to... I, I think it drags down, them down even in a good matchup. Yeah, I agree. And I think if you want to attack this matchup in, in some way in DFS, you don't do it with a QB. You do it with Kenny Britt or Lance Kendricks or, or someone like that because mm. – or, or Todd Gurley, right? I mean, that's the the real play here if you're going to go uh, for, like, the more obvious yeah. angle. But go after the guys who aren't going to throw interceptions. I mean, the San Francisco defense isn't good, but bad quarterbacks can throw interceptions against anybody. So I'd, I'd look for uh, other angles to attack that matchup. Last note I have, looking forward to week 16, Ben Roethlisberger is at home. Hooray! He's going <laughs> against the Ravens' defense. Boo! <laughs> the, the Steelers really do need to win this game, but are you comfortable using Big Ben in this matchup? Because he's been really hot and cold this year. Yeah, comfortable, no, but I, I see no situation where you can bench him in, in realistic terms. You would have to have a very strong QB3. Yeah, I've, I just looked through his game log, and the results just haven't been that impressive. In addition to, like, multiple weeks where he scored under 10 fantasy points, the the big games haven't really been there often enough for me. He's had three very good games and then a handful of, you know, you know 14 to 19-point to games. And that basement is just really scary to me. Now, with all that said, the last time he played Baltimore in Week 9, he scored about 19 fantasy points. So clearly he can get it done. Uh, that one was on the road in Baltimore. Uh, this one's at home where he is known to play better. I, I'm with you. I think you're probably starting him. But would it surprise me if he came out and laid an egg here? Not really. I mean, especially if they do what they did a couple weeks ago and just let all of the scoring run through Le'Veon Bell, which is a distinct possibility. Yeah, and this is one of those – this is a fun game for the holiday just it always very intense matchups. It's a good rivalry. It's two teams that have been good for a while. And you could definitely see it turning into this kind of boring, quote unquote, offensive game where it's just kind of a slugfest. They're not moving the ball real well and it comes down to the end. I don't know that it will, but you could definitely tell yourself that story that it's this ugly like 13-7 final. Yep. Um, do you have anything else specifically on week 16 before we wrap up the episode? Just the reminder that the schedule is totally thrown off by Christmas. So don't assume you have a normal sort of schedule for starting your lineups. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I, I was going to bring that up too. Yeah. I don't have the whole thing pulled up. I think it's that there's two games on Sunday on Christmas and the rest are going to be primarily Saturday with the one Thursday night game. So for the most part, you're setting your lineups before Saturday, like just bump your whole schedule one day earlier. There's still a Monday night game too, which makes it even more complicated because yeah. we, we need Dallas in prime time just once more. <laughs> Never you know? enough. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Baltimore Pittsburgh is Sunday. Denver, Kansas city is Sunday. Uh, Detroit, Dallas is Monday night. Everything else is on Saturday, and that's going to monkey wrench some of your lineup decisions to some extent. Um, I can't think any off the top of my head of any guys who are noticeably questionable for those later games, those ones on Sunday and Monday. Uh, again, the biggest takeaway I would say is if New York loses on Thursday night, then your Dallas plays get a little more risky. Hmm. Not terribly so, I don't think, but uh, risky enough. Yeah, I, I think that's all we got. Let's uh, Let's wrap this thing up. 
thank you for listening as always uh if this is the last episode you hear this year you know maybe you're going to your fantasy finals you win or lose and then you stop paying attention to any sort of content like this uh really appreciate you coming this far uh, on the 2qb experience um it's been a great first year uh for 2qbs.com for josh for myself and yeah i couldn't have done it without you the listener's support this has been a very cool to see the the way that the 2qb community has kind of popped up and and embrace the site and embrace you know the show and and i'm, I'm very excited about that i'm going to keep giving this little thank you spiel um, for the next couple of weeks because it does mean a lot to us. If you could rate and review the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, that would do, uh, you know, worlds more support for us. We'd appreciate those. And if you want to come check out the site, 2QBs.com, that would be great as well. Uh, if you're going to stick with us and you have questions you want to pose to us, um, you can hit us up on Twitter at 2QBs uh, on email as well, 2QBs at gmail.com. We're not going to go away when the season's over. Uh, the site is going to stay up. We're going to try to keep up, you know, less frequent but sustainable content over the off season. Josh, is there anything you're looking forward to to examining uh, after the season is over? Yeah, I really love the off season. Being able to reflect and take in the big picture and see kind of what we learned. So one of the big things that I tackle every off season is see how well various stats predicted quarterback performance week to week because we know pretty well what season long results look like. So going through and week to week saying, how well did we predict matchups? What could we have done better? Things like that, just so that we ideally are getting better at streaming every every year. Yep. And speaking of doing better, if you guys have suggestions for the podcast uh, leading into next season or, or the site in general, hit us up, Twitter, email, those those uh, ones I gave out earlier. In both cases, you got to spell it out, 2QBs, T-W-O-Q-B-S. Yeah, th- thanks again for listening. And uh, hopefully we'll we'll catch you again in the offseason or uh, after week 16. Until then, adios. Fitzpatrick is back. (laughs) 